Hello, Redeemer. It's good to be with you today. Uh, you can open up in your Bibles to First John, uh, John chapter three. We'll start in verse eleven, and we will continue our series through uh, the book of First John today. If you don't know me, my name is Lawson, and it's an honor to open God's Word with you and to be with you this morning. Uh, my confidence is uh, that God's Word is what we need in every season. Uh, and my prayer is that God will give us exactly what we need uh, this morning through his word by his spirit. Uh, let's read together the, the passage today. So it's First uh, John chapter three, starting in verse 11 and going through uh, verse 18. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Unlike Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. The one who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we've come to know love. He laid down his life for us we should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need, but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. Today's sermon uh, is just titled simply, Love One Another. Love One Another. We're gonna see three things. We're gonna see a negative example. We're gonna see a positive example. And we're going to see a practical application. Let's pray together again. Father, we, we come to you today and we need you. We need you to speak to us through your word, by your spirit. We need grace. And we need hope. We need comfort. We need encouragement. Um, Lord, you know, you know every single person, um, every single person listening, you know exactly what they need. Um, and Lord, you have the power to give them what they need and you have the desire you want to give us. You, you, you love to turn to us and be gracious to us. And so I just ask right now by your Holy Spirit that you would turn to us, you'd be gracious to us and you would speak to us by your word. In Jesus' name I ask, amen. First thing we see here is a negative example, a negative example. So what, what shouldn't we do, right? Uh, verse 11, this is the message you've heard from the beginning. We should love one another unlike Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. You know the story of Cain and Abel, probably. This is from Genesis 4, the very beginning of the Bible. Cain and Abel were sons of Adam and Eve. Uh, Cain was a farmer, Abel was a shepherd, uh, and they both brought their offerings to the Lord. They both brought a sacrifice to the Lord, and God accepted Abel's so uh, sacrifice, Abel's offering, but not Cain's. And as John says here, for some reason, uh, Abel made a proper sacrifice, a righteous sacrifice, while Cain didn't. Uh, and it made Cain angry, it made him jealous. And God says famously to, to Cain at this point, if you, if you do not, if you if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, and you must rule over it. But Cain doesn't rule over it. Uh, and, and it says, it goes on, Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out into the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? 
I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's guardian? Then he said, what have you done? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So Cain, who killed his brother, is an example of the hatred in the world that comes from the evil one. John has been talking in this passage, the passage right above the previous verses, uh, about those who are, who are righteous, who are children of God, those who are unrighteous, who are children of the devil, the evil one. And he says, Cain is of the evil one. Right? We know the devil, the devil is a murderer. The devil's been a murderer from the beginning. Um, and murder is the natural outcome of hatred and of jealousy. Um, and the spirit of Cain, I think we can confidently say, is still alive in the world. This is why it says in, in verse 13, do not, do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. Right, he's, he's trying to say this has been happening since the beginning. Right? This is not new. Um, the world, those separated from God, the world, the flesh that's set against God has, has been hating the children of God since the beginning. They murdered our perfectly loving Messiah, right? They, they murdered Jesus. And so, of course, the world will hate us if we love like he does. And John is expanding on what he's been saying through this whole letter, right? The, the things that he's been saying. We can't be alive in Jesus. We can't be, say we're in the light. We can't be Christians. We can't say we love God and then hate our brother and sister, hate each other. Right? That's what he says. We know we've passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. Right? If you don't love, you're still dead. That this is the sign that we've been brought into life is that we love our brothers and sisters. No one who knows the love of the Father can persist in hatred and malice toward another Christian. Verse 15 says, everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer. Um, John is getting this from, straight from Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Matthew 5, verse 21 um, says, you've heard it was said to our ancestors, do not murder, whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, Jesus says, everyone who's angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says you fool will be subject to hellfire. This is the section in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is explaining the law of God, right? He's explaining uh, the heart of the law of God. He, he says, yes, the law says not to commit adultery, but if you look at someone with lustful intent, you've already committed adultery in your heart. And he says here, yes, the law says don't murder. That's good. But I say, right, the heart of the command is don't be angry. Don't insult. Don't condemn. God's commands aren't simply external restraints. It's not just he's trying to, to uh, keep our outsides looking good and make sure we don't do anything wrong, uh, you know, anything externally wrong. God truly wants a transformed heart. He's after our hearts. And so John's repeating that argument here. It's not enough to just restrain yourself from killing someone if you have murder in your heart towards them. And boy, is there a lot of hatred in our world right now. There's so much hatred burning across our world like a dry haystack on a windy day. Countries and governments vying for influence and power, spreading hatred for each other all, over the, all the time. Every political party demonizing the other and hating the other side. People are more and more siloed away from each other. Connected globally, right? But siloed away from the people they actually know, their community, right? And, and it's creating smaller and smaller echo chambers where it's so easy to feel justified in just hating anyone who isn't exactly like you. Cain's murderous hatred is indeed widespread. 
and I submit that Jesus has something relevant to say to us now. I think he has something relevant to say to our world now. Next, we see a positive example, a positive example. Um, If you look at verse 16, this is how we've come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. So if Cain, the murderer, is the negative example, Jesus, who laid down his life, is the positive example of love. Um, This is how we even come to know what love is. This is how we define love. This is how we know what love means, right? Jesus laid down his life for us. In John 10, verse 11, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. John 15, 13, no one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. And that's what Jesus did. We, we say, uh, we say we, that we love the Texans and that we love our children and that we love banana pudding, right? We, we talk about love in a lot of different ways. And so that's not, those aren't the same thing, right? I don't love the Texans the same way I love my children, hopefully. Um, so it's important to get a biblical definition of love straight in our minds. To love, it's not just a feeling, right? It's not just, uh, just an enjoyment of someone or something, but it's this, to sacrifice for another's good. To sacrifice for another's good. Um, Dallas Willard said that, uh, you know, you say you love chocolate cake, but you don't. You want to eat it. I think that gets it across, right? Uh, you don't want what's best for that chocolate cake, actually. And to love some, someone is to truly want what's best for them um, to the point where you give up something of value for them. It costs you something. And so I think this is the simple definition of love from our passage, self-sacrifice for another's good. Self-sacrifice for another's good. Notice the contrast. Cain hates and takes life from his brother. Jesus loves and gives life for his brother. And Jesus says, do that. John says, love like him. And I think this is something relevant that Jesus has to say to the world. I think this is what is missing in the world. This is what is missing in all the conversations. This is what the church can uniquely offer to the world in this moment. When the wildfire of hatred is consuming the world, Jesus stands as a lamb slain, right? Jesus stands as the lamb slain for the world. He stands against hatred, not by fighting fire with fire, not by returning evil for evil, but instead by laying down his life for the world. We can and we're called to manifest the love of God in the world by his power. But if we don't love as he loved us, if we try to do it in our own power, in our own way, then we have nothing relevant to offer. We have nothing relevant to offer. Jesus said in Matthew 5, um, again, you've heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. This may be Jesus' most difficult command, love your enemies. Do we love like this? Are we marked by this? Let me ask you some questions, if I may. Help us think through this. Do you love the racists in our country? 
not, not excusing their sin, right? Love never does that. Jesus never excuses our sin, right? But, but do we love them? Do you pray for them? Do you long for their repentance? Do you love, do you love the looters in our country? Again, not excusing their sin, but loving them, praying for them, longing for their repentance. Do you love those who disagree with you politically? Do you want the best for them? Will you sacrifice for them? Isn't isn't that a straightforward application of Jesus' command to love your enemies? Have we given serious thought to actually obeying what Jesus says? But our passage today actually isn't talking about enemy love, right? Though that is a, a, an amazing uh, and a distinctly Christian, I think, um, part of, of the gospel and part of Jesus' teaching. Um, but, but today, John is talking specifically about loving our brothers and sisters, right? Christians, fellow believers, this is the message we've heard from beginning. This is the message that Jesus taught, love one another. All right, and in, in the 12 disciples, within the you know, 12 Jesus' closest friends, Jesus had, did you, I don't know if you knew, he had Matthew, who was a tax collector, right? A sellout to the Roman government. He worked for the Roman government, collected taxes that gave to the Roman government that oppressed the Jewish people, right? Matthew, a tax collector, and he had Simon the Zealot, Right? The zealots were a, a, a Jewish faction that tried to overthrow the Roman government through violence. He had a tax collector and a zealot and his disciples. And he looked at them and he said this in John 13, I give you a new command, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know you're my disciples if you love one another. So allow me a few more questions, if you will. And remember, love is sacrificing for someone else's good, self-sacrifice for the good of another. In a moment of such political and cultural polarization, right, such conflict, such hatred, do we love our brothers and sisters? If you are, are skeptical of the recent protests, uh, against racial injustice that have been happening in our country. Do you love those in our church who've been protesting? Who've been protesting the racism in our country? Do you love them? Will you sacrifice for them? Do you want the best for them, truly? If, if you've been down at the protests, if you've been protesting, do you love those in our church who've been skeptical of the protests? Will you sacrifice for them? Do you want the best for them? Do you love them? If you're against mask wearing, do you love those in our church who are pro-mask wearing, who wear masks everywhere, right? Will you sacrifice for them? Right, when you see them, will you wear a mask to be around them? 
right? You ask me to give up my rights? Give up my... Didn't Jesus give up his rights? Didn't he give up his freedom for you? Do you love them? Will you sacrifice for them? If you're pro-mask wearing, if you wear a mask everywhere, do you love those in our church who are anti-mask wearing and refuse to wear one? Will you, will you sacrifice for them? Do you love them? Like, will you ask me to sacrifice my health? Did Jesus sacrifice his health for you? Crucifixion is not healthy. He, he did. Right? Will you sacrifice for your brothers? Do you love them? Your sisters, do you love them? And if the answer is no, can, how can we say that God's love is truly in us? Have we exalted a political ideology above the kingdom of God? It's heartbreaking when Christians hate each other, when, when the children of God act like the children of Satan. Right, Jesus died for my brother, and then I'm, I'm going to hate him? Jesus died for my sister. He laid down his life for my sister. I'm going to refuse to sacrifice something for her? But it gets worse. I don't know if you noticed um, in, in John 13, 35, the verse I just read, uh, it says, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Jesus said, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. So it's heartbreaking for Christians to hate each other. But I think this itself should devastate us. Jesus says the way the world will know that we belong to Jesus is that we love one another. So people can hear our message all day long. They can hear our message all day long, but they won't believe it's true unless they see church people from every background, walk of life, social class, ethnicity, political party, skin color, truly loving each other. And this is the terrible potential of the church, the responsibility that we have we are either a community of transforming love, validating the gospel message, and, and making true the love of Jesus, or we're a community of hatred and of division, making the gospel message and the love of Jesus seem like a sham. Which will we be? A practical application. We've seen a negative example, Cain, who murdered his brother. We've seen a positive example, Jesus, who laid down his life for us. And now John gets practical. Verse 17, if anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? Little children, let us not love in word or speech but in action and in truth. John gets practical here, and we must get practical as well. We must as well. Um, he says, if someone has money, if someone's financially secure, if someone, uh, you know, see, and, and this person sees a, a brother or sister, you know, another Christian, lose a job, need a car, need, need some groceries, and, and doesn't help, how can God's love really be in him? How can God's love really be alive in him? 
And I love this because it's practical, right? It's showing, yes, we're supposed to lay down our lives for our brothers. And that, I think that means we should actually be willing to die for our brothers and sisters, right? But most of the time, that's not what we're called to. We're called to less things, smaller things, right? But it's still laying down our lives, just helping out how we can. Um, the, the word that's translated, the words translated withholds compassion. Um, some versions translate close, whoever sees a brother and closes his heart. Right, which is, it just gets it across. How can we have, how can we harden our hearts? How can we close, close our hearts against a brother or sister who Christ died for, Christ loves when they're in need? Let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. It's not saying it's bad to love in word or speech. It's not saying that we should definitely tell each other we love each other, right? That's important. But it's, it rather it's saying we can't stop there. It can't stop there. Real love does not stop with words. Of course, we say we love someone, but what proves it is whether we're willing to sacrifice something that we value for their good. Right? It's not a sacrifice if you don't value it, right? So practically, practically, we have to do something. Do something. Make your love true. Show it to be sincere by sacrificing something of value for your brothers and sisters. Give your time, your money, your emotional energy, your extra stuff. And I think it starts in the smallest ways, the very smallest ways. Um, this week, I was, uh, I was reading for this message, and I was, I was laying in bed it was at night. Caroline and I were laying there, uh, and, uh, and I was reading about, you know, loving each other, loving one another, loving our brothers and sisters. And uh, we were laying there, and I was reading, and a, and a fly buzzed by our heads. We had all these flies in our house. Um, and it was a, this big fly, and, and uh, Caroline said, uh, she actually said, I think, it looks, uh, looks like you get to be my hero, <laughs> which she meant like, hey, would you get up and kill this fly? Uh, and my, my first thought was, oh, I'm reading, Right? And my second thought, really close to that one, was I, I'm reading about loving, sacrificing something of value because you love someone. And then I say, like, my wife, the one I love the most in the world, asked me to, <laughs> to sacrifice one minute to kill this fly. And I'm like, ah, right? And, uh, yeah, of course, I'll, yes, I'll kill the fly, right? And I did kill it, so uh, props, props. And I, I was her hero, so... Um, but it starts small, right? And I encourage you to start small in the, in the ways that you can, right? God never asks, asks us to obey in ways that, are, that we can't. He asks us to obey in ways that we can, in the ways that we, he, he's where he's put us, right? Um, well, we can't expect to be faithful in the big things if we aren't faithful in the little things. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a great little book on, on Christian community called Life Together. And, uh, and I, I think it, this, it's the one I killed the fly with, actually. And, and I think he has two really practical ideas uh, for us. And, and two things that you can do this week, like even in quarantine, uh, you, can, you can do these things this week, start these things. Two, two practical things. He says the first service that we owe each other in community and in, in loving each other is what he calls the ministry of listening. The ministry of listening. This is really listening to, to people. Um, really listening to understand, uh, not just to respond. He says this, there's a kind of listening with half an ear that, pre that presumes already to know what the other person has to say. It's an impatient, inattentive listening that despises the brother and is only waiting for a chance to speak and thus get rid of the other person. I think we all have experienced that and all done that. 
And one of the most basic but most difficult ways to love someone, and especially someone who annoys you or someone you disagree with, is to truly listen to them. But love starts here, doesn't it? Love starts here. The second service that Bonhoeffer says we owe each other in the Christian community is what he calls uh, the ministry of helpfulness, the ministry of helpfulness. And this is just serving in little ways, uh, right? Just doing the little things around the house that need to be done, the little things in your family, the little, you know, little things you can, like helping, helping someone carry the groceries and that kind of thing. And, and here's what he says. Nobody is too good for the lowest service. One who worries about the loss of time that such petty outward acts of helpfulness entail is usually taking the importance of his own career too solemnly. We must be ready to allow ourselves to be interrupted by God. God will be constantly crossing our paths and canceling our plans by sending us people with claims and petitions. It's part of the discipline of humility that we must not spare our hand where it can perform a service and that we do not assume that our schedule is our own to manage but to allow it to be arranged by God. So practically, really listen and, and be helpful. Be helpful. This is love in action. And you can start there but ultimately you have to work it out yourself with fear and trembling. Ultimately, I, I can't tell you who you need to love or what you need to sacrifice. But, but the Holy Spirit will. And maybe he already is. Maybe he's bringing someone to mind for you. Maybe you know who it is. Maybe you know what you need to sacrifice for them. One of the best passages on what a life of love looks like is Romans 12, uh, 9 through 21. And I'm gonna read it out loud for us. Um, but I, I want you to, to really take this time to, to think about it and to meditate on this, you know, with me. Uh, and, and think about it in, in some concentric circles. So think about this in, in your family, right? Probably where most of us are most of the time right now, right? Our family. Think about it in our church. And um, think about it in the community at large. So what if this was true in your family, in our church, in our community? Romans chapter 12, verse nine. Let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. Do not lack diligence in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. 
If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath because it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. What if this is what we were known for? Sacrificing our rights, our freedoms, our preferences, our time, our energy, our money, our very lives for the good of others. Brothers and sisters, if Jesus laid down his life for us, we also should lay down our lives for each other. And where we have hatred in our hearts, let's go to the Lord. Let's repent of that hatred. Um, Ask for God's forgiveness and beg for his power and his love to flow through us, to flow in us and flow through us and, and that we would manifest and would show his love in our real lives and in the real world. In Genesis 4, after Cain killed his brother Abel, it says that Abel's blood cried out from the ground to God. It was a a cry for justice, a cry for Cain's condemnation. Jesus' blood, however, in Hebrews Hebrews 12 says, speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Jesus shed blood, cries out for justice as well, but this time not for our condemnation, but for our acquittal. That's how Jesus can be faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to make us part of his family. He took our place. He laid down his life for us. He shed his blood and then he rose from the dead in victory. And if you don't know the love of God, you can. You can. You can be free of hatred and contempt and fear forever. Jesus will teach you the way if you'll turn to him. Let's pray. Father, you know our weakness. That's why you taught us to pray. Deliver us from evil. You know that we need you, that we cannot do this on our own. Lord, we make a mess of it every time you leave us to ourselves, every time we go our own way, every time um, we refuse your wisdom, every time we refuse your love. um, It goes so badly for us, Lord. And we want to be faithful to you. We want to manifest your, we want to show the world how much you love them, how much you love us. And you said that will happen in how we love each other. And so would you help us, Lord, to love each other We need your power to do to do this, and so please do it. In Jesus' name, I ask. Amen.